You know, I always feel like sports has brought people together over a long period of time, you know, and, you know, watching different adversities, whether it was 9-11, whether that was Katrina, you know, sports has an amazing way of healing wounds and bringing people together and bringing communities together and something to cheer for and a common interest and a common good. So I think anytime you can participate in things like that, it's a great feeling and you know, I know it means a lot for us to have the opportunity to go out and play for our fans always. But, you know, after what so many people have gone through in the state, you know, it's it's great to go out there and give them something to cheer about. Tom Brady talking about the impact of Hurricane Ian. Brady has made a destination or a donation, excuse me, to the Florida Disaster Fund to get things started, and uh, hopefully others will follow suit. Reminds me of what J.J. Watt did when the hurricane hit the Houston area several years back. The Buccaneers kicking in a million dollars. Great gesture by them. A lot of cleanup to be done. A lot of lives turned upside down. Hopefully not too many lives lost. We still are awaiting some official numbers. It was a horrible scene in Florida. It didn't hit Tampa directly, and as a result, the game on Sunday night between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers will proceed as scheduled in Raymond James Stadium. And, uh, and, and look, as long as they've got the appropriate personnel available and it's not a strain on the resources that may be needed elsewhere, it's it's a good thing to have a distraction, to have a diversion like this, to kind of bring everybody together in the aftermath of the storm. And, uh, oh, by the way, it's one of the best games of the weekend. Rematch of Super Bowl 50. Five, fifty-five, fifty-five. My God, I'm starting to lose, I'm starting to lose track of which Super Bowl was when, Peter. But it was Super Bowl fifty-five when the Buccaneers beat the Chiefs, and uh, um, beat them thirty. Could be the last time nine. we seen. Well, and that was the game where Patrick Mahomes had that toe injury, and he was relentlessly harassed by the Tampa Bay defensive line all game long, and he gave his best effort. It was, it was heroic what Mahomes was trying to do to will his team back into that game. And then the Chiefs were favored in that one. Um, And uh, they're very slight favorites in this one. I think like a one-point favorite against the Buccaneers. But as you said, there's no must-win in late September, early October. But there's a big difference between 3-1 and 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 2-2 for teams that were expected to be 3-1 and or better through the first four games of the season. Yeah, but I think a lot of this also, Mike, is the way the schedule falls. And, you know, the way Kansas City's schedule has fallen and is falling, uh, it's really, as is Tampa. (laughs) You know, I think if you look at Tampa's schedule and you said, okay, first four games, if you end up two and two, especially with the amazing amount of injuries and missing pieces, on offense. I mean, I don't care how few points they've scored. I I find it amazing the Bucks are two and one and have figured out some way to get to two and one. And now where you get Mike Evans back, there's one guy. And you know, you don't know until Sunday night who else is coming back, especially because this has been an odd week, obviously. The Bucks went to uh Miami on Tuesday, and they practice there Wednesday and Thursday. I don't know what they're doing today, whether they're staying there and practicing one more day before coming home. But whatever it is, 
the bulk of their practice week has been in weather that, relatively speaking, uh, is fairly favorable to them. And, and they didn't have to deal with the hurricane. So we'll see if they're able to get any of their other receivers back in time because they desperately, desperately need him. I don't know if you noticed this last week, Mike, but Tom Brady, very early on, I think the first snap, that uh, that Cole Beasley ever played as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Brady drilled one to him. And he looked for him a couple of times very, very early. And when that happened, I said, man, Brady is a desperado for anybody who he trusts who can catch the ball. That's right, and he's trying to get to the point where he can trust Beasley. He ended up trusting Russell Gage extensively against the Green Bay Packers. He'll have Mike Evans back. But the offense has been struggling. Here's Brady talking about the difficulty that his team has had moving the ball and scoring points. Well, I certainly expect us and hope we can score more points than what we've been scoring. So, um, sure, you know, sure. it's a lot to, um, you know, I think we're all disappointed by the fact that we haven't scored as many points as I think we're all capable of scoring. Um, so... You know, we're three games in. I think we've realized there's things that, you know, we haven't done so well that we got to get corrected. And, um, you know, who's ever in the game, we got to go in there and do a better job scoring points. And like I said, it comes down to a lot of different things. Penalties, turnovers, um, you know, and it's making making the right play, executing the play. And, uh, you know, if we do that, I believe we'll score points. So we just... It hasn't been at our highest level the first three weeks of the year, and hopefully we can get there at some point. But we're work, you know, we're working hard to get there. They averaged 30 points per game last year. This year, they're averaging 17 points per game. Three passing touchdowns overall for Tom Brady. Peter, you made the point last week that his yards per attempt well south of seven in the range of 6.5, 6.6, still in that range after the loss to the Green Bay Packers. Um, and, and look, the injuries have a lot to do with it. 13 different players have caught a pass through three games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And once they get their full complement back, who knows when Chris Godwin will be back with the hamstring injury, but Evans will be back after the suspension. Julio Jones, maybe he'll be back. They have Russell Gage. They've got all these great receivers, but it's just so early. To see it happen so early in the season, it happened to him last year later in the season, to see it happen so early in the season really is stunning. And if, if they get through this and get their guys back healthy, they, they could go on a nice run. And they're a team I'm still keeping an eye on as a very strong contender to end up back in the Super Bowl. And look, Mike, uh, I'm not counting on Julio Jones. It's nothing, you know, I don't, he's not a malingerer. It's just that the last two and a half years have shown that you simply can't count on Julio Jones to be a regular participant in the sport of football. You know, he just he's just not capable of doing that anymore. So I almost don't even include him in the equation. Whatever you get from him, the four or five games maybe that he plays from here on out, to me is, a, is just an absolute bonus. But beyond that, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are extremely fortunate that they've had the best defense in the league through three weeks, that they've allowed, uh, you know, nine points a game 
to some pretty good foes, starting with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. So to me, that has been the key to this, to this team, that Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles doesn't control Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich, but he does control his side of the ball. And that side of the ball has been playing great, and it's needed to play great early on. Um, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I think they will continue to be among the best teams in the NFL, two of the best teams in the AFC, getting together on Sunday in Baltimore, Buffalo Bills at the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, Peter, let me start here because you made the excellent point earlier about the Dolphins and they had to turn it around pretty quickly and get to Cincinnati and play on the road. I mean, the Bills had to go home after that exhausting ordeal in South Florida. They get the extra time to recover, but it it really is hard not to wonder whether what happened on Sunday will echo into this Sunday because we saw how physically draining it was for those players, and they've got to turn around. They've got to face a great Baltimore team. Now, the defense isn't great this year, but good luck slowing down Lamar Jackson for anybody who may be facing it. Yeah, I wouldn't call Baltimore a great team right now. I'd say that, you know, I don't think any team that gives up 28 points in the fourth quarter to anybody uh, can be called a great team. And they did that, obviously, to Miami uh, two weeks ago. But, I, I mean, Baltimore is a good challenge, especially on the road and especially against Lamar Jackson. But, you know, Mike, I, and again, I am not discounting the importance of this game at all. But what I am saying is I still think Baltimore is the best – or Buffalo, excuse me, is the best team in football. They'll get a challenge from Philadelphia to be sure. But I think Buffalo is the best team in football. They're the deepest team in football, and they lost a game under extremely adverse circumstances with their two best defensive tackles out of the game, their two uh, Pro Bowl safeties out of the game, starting two rookie cornerbacks – including a sixth-round pick from Villanova uh, against an incredible set of receivers in Miami on Sunday. So, and again, we can all make excuses for whoever, but all I'm saying is I still think Buffalo is the best team in football. And look, that can change any week. It could change this week. But if you gave me right now Buffalo, and or if, if, if I could take Buffalo or the field, to win the Super Bowl this year, I'll take Buffalo. Oh, I'll take the field. Oh, I'm always taking the field. Are you kidding me? Because we saw it happen. Look, Peter, here's the challenge for the Bills. They dominated the Dolphins on Sunday, but they still lost the game. They are 0-7 since the start of last season in one-score games. 0-7. All other games, 14-1. 0-7 in one-score games. I think that's one of the reasons why we saw Ken Dorsey blow a gasket at the end of that game, there's pressure on them to win close games. They can't win close games. And at some point, it's not just a fluke. At some point, there's something that's failing in the machinery that is causing them to either think too much, try too hard, get too caught up. In, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why I like to come out and kick the crap out of you early, like they did to the Titans in week two. Like, and, and they didn't really do it to the Rams it was 10-10 at halftime but they they put the foot on their throats in the second half and it wasn't even a contest they need to figure out how to win these close games and it shouldn't have even been close 
40 minutes time of possession, 90 plays to 39, nearly 500 yards to 200 and change, low change. It's amazing they lost that game. But that's where you find the silver lining if you're the Bills. Like, how many days are we going to have like this where we don't actually win the game by 20 points? Yeah, I guess I would say this, and you're right. I think uh, not being able to win close games could be a symptom of a problem. On the other hand, um, playing, uh, beating a Bill Belichick team 47 to seven, would it be better to beat them 13 to seven? No, of course not. But I understand what you're saying. But I just don't have a lot of worry about a team that is phenomenally beat up early on, getting most of those guys back at some point, has very good depth of roster, knowing that you have the quarterback in the NFL that maybe other than Patrick Mahomes, I have absolutely zero questions about right now. Um, I, I just, I just think they're going to be fine. Oh, I think they'll be fine. But if you're going to go bills of the field for Super Bowl champion, here's why I'm going field. This is the main reason. Once we get to the playoffs and we know this because dynamic, a lot of things can happen. Year. I get it. Well, well, no, there, yeah. there's going to be a game because it all resets the regular season window or excuse me, the regular season record goes out the window or the regular season window goes out the record, whichever you prefer. But, but. When the Bills get in a close game, divisional round, championship, or Super Bowl, they're going to feel that weight of the world on their shoulders. All that pressure, all that expectation, and the history. Can we get it done in this moment? Can we do justice to everything we accomplished this year in the regular season? That is where the pressure is going to be the highest that it ever can be on the Bills coaches and players. And we'll see. They'll have the chance. Can they deliver in that moment? I'm not sure they can because I'm not sure anyone can perform under that kind of pressure. All right, pressure's on us to accelerate through some of the other games from week four of the 2022 NFL regular season. We'll do that next on PFT Live presented by Google. I think it's putting the cart before the horse, another horrible cliche, because it's hard if you put the cart before the horse, then the horse would have to push the cart. (laughs) Always bring back Ohio University, Peter King. (laughs) The old school Peter King. That is the cart before the horse. That is an interesting conversation there. Caption this photo. Maybe we should put that on Twitter. (laughs) There would be some interesting suggestions, I believe. All right, speaking of horses, let's ride. Maybe that's what you're saying. Let's ride. Let's ride. Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's hear quickly from Devontae Adams on the speculation that is lingering regarding his lack of targets as a member of the Raiders offense. People always got to break something down. So at the end of the day, I mean, if we, if we, I mean, these games are, we're losing these games by, you know, a small margin at the end of the day. So we win those games. They're not talking about that. They don't care. They, you know, the, all the Green Bay people will definitely still be on that and talk about, you know, try to compare the stats and all of that. But we're not doing this thing for stats at the end of the day. So I don't think anybody's tripping about that. And 
Um, just to hit on what you just said again, I mean, it's, it has nothing to do with, you know, having too many, you know, guys that have had success or whatever it is. It's simply an adjustment to, to playing, I mean, for, for lack of better words, with me. I mean, it's a different type of coverage you're going to get. Nobody gets played like how I get played in the, in the National Football League. It's so early in the season where, you know, a lot of the adjustments that people are making, I mean, it's, it's just not as loud as this because nobody else has to deal with it the way we do, you know. And it was the same, you know, when I was on the Packers and then we had to find different ways. And obviously we played professional ball together, Aaron and I, longer than what me and Derek have. So, you know, we, we found times to... You know, and it kind of was a little bit more um, gradual than what this was. You know, we jumped straight into the fire, had a few one-on-one -on -one opportunities in the in the first week, and got 17 targets. So now people are changing that up, obviously, and um, you know we got to change some stuff up too. The beneficiary of all of that is Matt Collins, who leads the Raiders in receiving yardage with 240. Devonte Adams has 189, if I recall correctly, and there's a pretty good chance that I don't. Peter, you take away Devontae Adams, it opens up other avenues for Derek Carr. And we kind of knew that would potentially happen with the Raiders. They haven't had a guy like Devontae Adams. These defenses having an opportunity to plan for how to minimize the connection between the two college teammates. And now you have a former Packers offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, who knows all of everything there is to know about Devontae Adams. This is uh, going to be an intriguing matchup to see whether or not the Raiders can get more production out of Adams and ultimately get a win. More than anything else, they just need to get the win, Peter. Mike, weeks one through three, 2021, in Green Bay. Devontae Adams, 34 targets. Weeks one through three, Las Vegas, 2022. Devontae Adams, 34 targets. Which of these is not like the other? They're not. It is the same. So, so please, you know, let's not look at the Devontae Adams production and saying, man, uh, what's Josh McDaniels doing? Call more plays for Devontae Adams. Was anybody asking that after three weeks in Green Bay last year? 34 is a lot of targets in three weeks. D Derek Carr's just got to play a little better. They got to take the one thing that you noticed when Devontae Adams played with Aaron Rodgers, there's many times, including the fatal last play of Devontae Adams, the last target of Devontae Adams' Green Bay career. Remember, in the playoff game against San Francisco, he's doubled deep downfield. And instead of going to the wide open, uh, Alan Lazard on a 14 or 15-yard cross, there's nobody within five yards of him. Aaron Rodgers tries to go deep for Devontae Adams. And again, I'm only saying that because that is what you do sometimes when you have a player like that. Even when he's doubled, you throw the ball up there and say, okay, you're Devontae Adams, you're Tyreek Hill, you're Justin Jefferson, you can make this, you're Jamar Chase, you can make this play. And so I think that this is going to go by the wayside in, in a week or two because I think Devontae Adams, one of these weeks, is going to have a monster game. Continuation of the theme that we addressed earlier as it relates to the Bengals' offensive line. The early stage of the regular season is the preseason. This is the opportunity for Derek Carr and Devontae Adams to get reacquainted, for Adams to get properly ensconced in that offense, and then by the time we get into the middle of October, November, December, we'll see what he's going to be in his first year with the Raiders. Jets at the Steelers, both teams one and two. For the Steelers, 
I know it's not a must win on October the second, but when you look at what's coming for the Steelers with the Bills, the Bucks, the Eagles, and the Dolphins, who boy, you better win this one against the Jets, especially with extra time to get ready. Fans that are going to be clamoring for Kenny Pickett if Mitchell Trubisky isn't Terry Bradshaw right out of the gates. This is a game the Steelers need to well, win. Well, if he is Terry Bradshaw right out of the gate, he's well, going to get no. yanked. No. <laughs> Terry, Terry Bradshaw at his best, not 1970 yeah, Terry Bradshaw. Right, You're right, right yeah. about that. But they need and, – and look, Trubisky did last Thursday night what he needs to do. Pull the trigger. Throw the ball. Get it toward George Pickens. Get it toward De- uh, Deontay Johnson. They'll make the catches. Chase Claypool as well. Pat Fryermuth, who had a great catch with three guys around him as the Steelers are trying to come back in that game. But, you know, Peter, this is what I'm going to be watching very closely and listening for. The chance for Kenny Pickett. Mike Tomlin said he didn't hear the fans week two against the Patriots. They will be sure that he hears them this time or they hear him that they want Kenny if Mitch isn't getting it done. You know, for all the talk, and look, I live in Brooklyn, and for all the talk this week around the Jets, once it appeared that uh, Zach Wilson was going to play, and he is going to play on Sunday. Everybody said, oh, boy, he brings a, another level to this game, and you know, watch out for his legs. You know, Zach Wilson ran the ball 29 times in 13 games last year. That's not exactly uh, Michael Vick. So I understand that people are saying, well, you know, the threat of the run is really fantastic. He was not a great runner last year. And, and we'll see if they design a few more runs. If I'm the Jets, I'm designing some runs for Zach Wilson in this game. Because even without T.J. Watt, this is a scary proposition as a front for a young quarterback to face. Titans and the Colts get together in Indianapolis. Tennessee 1-2. and two. Colts 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Both teams getting their first wins of the season last weekend. This was a great game last year. This was where we really felt the Titans were taking over that division. They ultimately won the one seed. This is important because the Colts have to show last week wasn't a fluke, Peter. Matt Ryan talked about how they built confidence from that win. This is another game where a play here, a play there, a play there. One of those plays goes the other way, and the Chiefs beat the Colts, and the Colts are 0-2-1. The Titans are good enough if they ride Derrick Henry. Yeah. If they ride Derrick Henry. three weeks, though, Mike. Go ahead. I was going to say through three weeks. The Tennessee Titans, the most startling, one of the most startling numbers in the NFL right now is that no team in the AFC has allowed more points through three weeks than the Tennessee Titans. Who would have ever figured that? That a Mike Vrabel team would be last in the AFC in scoring after three weeks? It's just, it's weird. And so I think what really needs to happen in this game is that if I am Indianapolis, this is a game to be aggressive. This is a game to take Alec Pierce out of mothballs, the rookie from the University of Cincinnati, who I think is going to be really, really good as a potential good number two receiver. And this is the week to challenge a defense that has really struggled. Absolutely. And uh, this is one of those games where even though it's early, it's a huge factor in the final standings, especially if the Colts lose, because they still have to go to Tennessee later in the season. You get swept by your top rival in the division. 
very difficult to come out as the first place team. Patriots and the Packers getting together at Lambeau Field. This game has a different vibe because it's highly unlikely we're going to see Mac Jones after the ankle injury he suffered on Sunday and the clear agony that he was in. Brian Hoyer making his 40th career start, most likely. Aaron Rodgers and Bill Belichick quite possibly getting together for the last time ever. Here's Rodgers talking about facing a team coached by one of the greatest coaches of all time. They have a lot of scheme they can get to. They're very well prepared, very well coached. And you've got to be kind of ready for every coverage, pressure, zero, uh, drop eight, uh, a lot of different things. A lot of respect for Coach Belichick. He's the best coach in the history of the game, I think. Uh, and uh, he's not inaccurate when he says that, even even as he plays for the team that was once coached by Vince Lombardi. Uh, can, can the Patriots find a way to keep this one close, though? They, they're just kind of that find-a-way team like the Steelers. Find a way, grind it out, keep it close. Sims and I were talking about this yesterday. When Hoyer played that, that weeknight game during the COVID year because Cam Newton was unavailable, they, they were keeping it close until Hoyer made a kind of a boneheaded mistake late in the first half, and then it got away from the Patriots. But you think they could find a way? You know, the Patriots – I mean, the Packers' offense has not been all that great either. We've talked about other teams struggling. They have as well. What do you think? I think unless Green Bay turns it turns it over, this is a double-digit game by midway through the third quarter in favor of Green Bay. Mike, I, I don't want to be uh, Joe negative on this again, but you know, Brian Hoyer, his last 14 NFL starts, he's 0-14. He has not won he's due. a football game he's due. As, as a football player in six years. And, you know, I – I just, you know, you, you want to think of the positive things. And I like Brian Hoyer. Uh, but I just, how, how can you imagine that he's going to go to Lambeau and the Patriots are going to have enough offense to beat Aaron Rodgers? I can't. I just can't see it. I mean, that's why they play the games, but I just don't see it. I mean, that's the key. It doesn't matter if you hold the Packers to 14 points like the Buccaneers did. You still have to find a way to score more score than the Packers 17. are able to score. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Doug Peterson going back to the place where there's a trophy. A trophy. I screwed up my, my throw. I had a really good line that I'll save for later in the show. More PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. It has the word statue in it. <laughs> trophy what are your feelings going back uh appreciation a uh, little little bittersweetness what, what no nah, i mean listen i i my wife and i our family we've got a lot of great memories you know back there um i've spent you know eight or nine years there um once with coach reed and once obviously as the head coach and uh brought that city a championship and and something to be proud of obviously and and, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting back there. And, and just uh, I understand that city. I understand the passion for, for football. But but now I'm on the other side, right? And, and um, you know, it's, it's still a long way away. It's, you know, seven days away or six days away. But, you know, we've, we've got to prepare, um, you know, this week um, like we have these last couple of weeks. But I'm looking forward to it, you know, getting back up there. Uh, it's been a great place. Um, we, we did a lot of a lot of good things there, and and um, you know, looking forward to the hopefully the, the welcome. 
I'm not sure what kind of welcome Doug Peterson's going to get, even though, and Peter, we had this conversation three weeks ago as Russell Wilson was preparing to return to Seattle. The propriety, the etiquette, the wisdom of booing Russell Wilson. They should not boo Doug Peterson. And I know that I'm speaking to the wrong fan base here. This guy won you your only Super Bowl ever, and he got fired. He didn't want to leave. He'd still be there. He got fired. He got told to leave. So I hope that if there's anyone on earth, other than Nick Foles maybe, that they wouldn't boo that Doug Peterson is that person. Mike, I I totally agree. I just, I don't understand the logic, first of all. I understand the logic during the game of booing Russell Wilson, okay? But I don't understand the logic when he goes out uh, for warm-ups before the game of booing the living crap out of him, which the Seattle crowd did. It was ridiculous. Same thing at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday either. But that's, I'm, I mean, I'm 65 years old. I err on the side of etiquette. And most people who are diehard fans obviously don't. But I do want to mention one thing about this team that Doug Peterson is bringing into this game. And that is this. There are 32 teams in the NFL, okay? The number, number two team in the NFL right now in scoring margin, points for versus points against, is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've scored 46 more points than their opponents when they've played. That's, that is significant. And I don't discount. I don't say, well, Jacksonville doesn't have a chance. I think they got a chance. I mean, their pass rush has been really, really good. I may have underrated Trayvon Walker coming out of the draft. We'll see how that goes. But this is an impressive team. This is not a fluky team. It's an impressive team after three weeks. Yeah, 62 to 10 is the margin of victory in the last two wins for the Jacksonville Jaguars. In hindsight, I don't know how they lost to Washington to start the season. They have been phenomenal. The shutout of the Colts, the obliteration of the Los Angeles Chargers. This team is for real. Sims has been all over them. They're kind of like the Bengals from last year in that you look at them and you think they're not supposed to be good. You look at the uniforms. You look at the players. It's like, wait, they're not supposed to be good. Why are they good? Oh, crap, they're good. And they're going to benefit from that because they aren't yet a measuring stick team. Now, maybe if they beat the Eagles, they'll become a measuring stick team on the fly. And other teams will have to reconfigure their assessment when they see that the Jaguars are next up on the schedule. But this is a game that the Jaguars could win, and I think you throw in the Doug Peterson factor and it makes them even more dangerous because he's going to be even more motivated to want to go in there and prove that the Eagles were wrong for throwing him overboard. Now, I'm sure the Jaguar players are very happy that they have him instead of Urban Meyer, but this team is good enough, especially on defense, to, to match with an Eagles team that has been dominant this year. Yes, they they've lost or they haven't lost a game. Excuse me. They were in a close game week one against the Lions where the final score did not su- suggest dominance. They were dominant in that game. They were dominant against the Vikings. They were extremely dominant against the Commanders on the same field where the Commanders beat the Jaguars. And I, I don't put any stock in those dotted line comparisons. But the point is the Eagles have been dominant three out of three weeks. 
and it's going to take everything the Jaguars have to beat them, but they can. Yeah. And, you know, the other part of this game, Mike, is, you know, the institutional knowledge that Doug Peterson has about some of the players on this team. I mean, and you can start with Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts is a different player than the one who was a second-round pick, um, you know, three years ago. So I'm not necessarily saying that Peterson has a huge advantage in this game. All I'm saying is that I think he will laugh in the face of getting the crap booed out of him. He doesn't care. He's not playing in the game. And I think that this is really a measuring stick game for Trevor Lawrence. And I love the fact that Trevor Lawrence has played well so far, but he hasn't gone into anybody's pit of despair, has he? Has he really won a game or competed on semi-equal footing in one of the hardest places in the NFL to play? He hasn't. This game, to me, is a lot for, for Trevor Lawrence, is going to be a lot like a really tough ACC game, whatever one of those would be, in a place that there's 85,000 people screaming against you. I just don't think he's had that yet in the NFL, and that's why this is a measuring stick game for Trevor Lawrence. Here's what Doug Peterson should do. He should bring his Super Bowl ring with him. He should put it on his finger. He can choose which one. And he should have it ready to go. And maybe that's what he should do. If they boo him, he should move the Super Bowl ring from the ring finger to the middle finger uh, if they boo him. Because, again, he was one of the people most responsible for the Super Bowl championship that the folks in Philadelphia got to enjoy. And what I was going to say earlier about the statue, yeah, statue. What I was going to say about the statue was something about pigeons pooping all over it and making some sort of a parallel to booing Doug Peterson It sounded a lot better in my brain. But there's the statue. Two guys no longer in Philadelphia. Both have been with the Jaguars. Foles previously. Peterson now. And here comes Peterson. Please don't boo him, Philadelphia. You should be thanking him for your Super Bowl championship. We take a break. The Daniel Jones Memorial Show Me Something draft. When this Friday edition of PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. I love the Bud Light. Oh, no. I'd forgotten all about this. Pineapple Upside Down. We learned about it two weeks ago. We mentioned the Pineapple Upside Down cake each of the last two Fridays. One of the viewers inspired by our constant reference to the Upside Down Pineapple and what that symbol means made a Pineapple Upside Down cake and it looks awesome it looks like the ones my mom used to make may have to may have to dust off the recipe and make one of those myself um all right show me something but not an upside down pineapple for week four uh peter king you're up show me something Jameis winston this isn't florida state this isn't the early years with the bucks you are no longer on scholarship you have this week 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time at Tottenham Stadium in London. You have this week to straighten yourself out. Five interceptions the last two games. The old Jameis has surfaced. 
I know your back hurts. I really do. And it must be borderline excruciating. But Andy Dalton is warming up in the bullpen. And Dennis Allen did not import you two years ago. Dennis Allen is going to do what is best for this team. And if your team falls to one and three on Sunday in London, you are not safe anymore. And Andy Dalton, as I say, is warming up. And maybe he doesn't have the greatest fastball in the National Football League. But he's not going to turn it over five times in two games. Show me something, and I rarely do this, but I'm going to fast forward to Monday night. Show me something, Jimmy Garoppolo. And he did show us all something. There was a controversy this week about what he may or may not have said after the interception late in the game. Lip readers have come to the consensus that he was saying to Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers, all your plays suck, man. Shanahan was asked about it yesterday, and he said, on one hand, I haven't seen it and I don't plan to watch it. And then on the other hand, I don't think he said that. Well, how do you know if you didn't watch it yourself? Regardless, there's a lot of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. We were reminded repeatedly on Sunday night. There it is. All your plays suck, man. Maybe. I don't know. I'm no expert in those things. But we were reminded of why the 49ers have been trying so aggressively to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. Whether it was a big moment like stepping out of the end zone or a more subtle point like having Debo Samuel wide open on an in cut on third and three where all you have to do is put it in his hands on a short pass and he goes for 20 yards and maybe you win the game. Instead, it was two yards behind the guy who was wide open. This is, this is Garoppolo's chance against a Rams team that they have bedeviled consistently in the regular season, not in the playoffs, but in the regular season at home. The, the, not, not, that, not that he's going to get benched because what do they got? They got Brock Purdy. But this is Jimmy Garoppolo laying the foundation for his next contract, which we all thought, hey, this is genius. He stays with the 49ers. He can play. He can play well. He can be the crown jewel of the free agent class. Not based on what we saw last Sunday night, Peter. Show me something, Brandon Staley. Okay, remember last year, week 16, the Chargers need like one more win to become basically playoff eligible, you know, like they talk about in college football. And they needed a win down the stretch of this season. And it looked like, God, you're playing the Houston Texans. You got to win this game. So they go to Houston the day after Christmas, and they lose and Staley's defense gives up 41 points. And that was, to me, a huge sign that this is not in any way, shape, or form a playoff defense. And so then, obviously, they blew it at the end of the season, did not go to the playoffs, even though they had a fantastic offense, and Staley tried to fix the defense in the offseason. Well, Chargers at Texans. Week four, just basically, you know, nine months after they had this absolute debacle of a, of a showing. Has Brandon Staley done enough with an injured quarterback to come in and can his defense beat a mediocre offense, mediocre at best? Can his defense shut down the Houston offense and get a must-win game? And again, I realize you don't call them must-wins, so that's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I am going to say that this is one of those games on the schedule where if you think you're a playoff team, 
you were beating the Houston Texans in week four. Show me something, Brandon Staley. Show me something, speaking of guys who may or may not be crown jewels of the next free agent class, Baker Mayfield. Through three games with the Panthers, Baker Mayfield has been ordinary, and that is giving him every benefit of the doubt. 42 for 81, 51.9% completion percentage. Nobody hovers around 50% anymore and continues to stay on the field as a starting quarterback. Passer rating of 80.8. There was once a time where 80.8 was kind of like, ah, that's not bad. Now it's bad. Anything under 90 now is bad in the NFL. Uh, And he's got his close friend, Kyler Murray, coming to town. Last year they played in Cleveland when Mayfield was with the Browns and Kyler uh, brought Arizona in there and they easily beat the Browns. And and that was when Mayfield really messed up his shoulder for the second time. Now it's Murray again going to Charlotte. And somehow the Panthers beat the Saints last week. I still don't know how they pulled that off because it wasn't because of anything Baker Mayfield did. If Mayfield wants to reestablish himself as a starting quarterback in this league and get a franchise quarterback contract or something close to it, this is the time to begin that process because it's not working for him so far in Carolina. Let's take a break. We'll do round three of the Show Me Something draft when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Show me something. That's what we have so far. Round three is upon us. Peter King, you are away. Show me something, Daniel Jones. No, don't, don't. Really? I'm just kidding. I cannot get fired up about Bears-Giants. However, I do want another quarterback in a very big game on Sunday to show me something. Show me something, Derek Carr. You started 3-0 last year. You started 0-3 this year. You're playing a team that is eminently flawed at home, the Denver Broncos. And even though the Broncos have played very well defensively going into this game on Sunday, this is the time to put the alarm clock on on Saturday night and to wake up Sunday morning and be the quarterback you were paid to be in the offseason and be the quarterback that everyone knew you would be with Devontae Adams. Show even me something, you've already. Carr. Even though you've already picked a player from the early game on Sunday, I'm going to finish up with Kirk Cousins because this is a rare opportunity for him to get some separation above 500. They're two and one. The idea of being two games above 500 for Kirk Cousins, who is right at that 500 line for his entire career, that's a big deal. And it's going to feel like a big game. It's not going to be played at night, which is good for him. But it's a big deal in London. It's a big moment for him and for the Vikings, and we'll see if they can beat the Saints. We'll see you Monday morning. Thanks for some of your time. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games.